Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. This parable is one of the most important places in all of the Bible that teaches the reality of hell. Now, no one gets up on a Sunday morning and comes to church, and as they are coming to church, no one says, well, I hope the preacher preaches on hell today. I need a little hell in my life. No one says that. No one really wants to hear a sermon on hell, and no preacher, at least no preacher that I know of, really wants to preach on hell. But according to the Bible, the reality of hell cannot be denied. This morning I want to look at the reality of hell, the reasonableness of hell, and our rescue from hell. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, the epitome of love, frequently spoke of and affirmed the reality of hell. In fact, Jesus had more to say about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Yes, he spoke of heaven, but Jesus also spoke on many occasions and in many places of the reality of hell. I didn't count it. Somebody did count it, however. There are 1,850 verses in the New Testament that record the words of Jesus. 13% of those verses, according to this count, 
deal with the subject of eternal judgment and hell. Now, when Jesus spoke on hell, he did not question the reality of hell. There are many today who question the reality of hell. It's not politically correct. It's, it's not something anybody want, really in the public wants to hear about. But Jesus spoke on it often, and when he spoke on it, he didn't question the reality of hell. When Jesus spoke on hell, he didn't debate with anybody the reality of hell. When Jesus spoke on hell, he didn't defend the reality of hell. When Jesus spoke on hell, he didn't apologize for the reality of hell. Over and over again, in his ministry, in many places, our Lord Jesus declared that hell is a real place. For instance, Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst a man can do for you is to kill your body. But God is able to destroy, Jesus says, people, both soul and body in hell. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus Said, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. A reference to an eternal place of punishment that we would call hell. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 42, Jesus said, And at the end of this age, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and 44, Jesus said, it is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In the Bible in its closing words in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2015 says, if anyone's name is not found written, in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, nobody wants to hear about hell, especially in these days, unless, you know, someone's preaching a sermon to deny its reality. But if you believe the Bible, the Bible is the inspired, infallible, and inerrant word of God. If you believe the words of Jesus written and read in our Bibles, hell is a real Place just as real as heaven. We don't question the reality of heaven. Neither can we question the reality of hell. Now, why did Jesus teach about hell? Well, he taught about hell because hell is real. And he taught about hell because he desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. Everybody knows John 3.16 in fact, in the recent championship game, 
college championship game, I noticed for the first time in a long time, this used to be something they did, you know, or something that was done many years ago, but in the stadium hanging from the stands was a big sign that had John 3.16 on it. <laughs> Everybody knows John 3.16. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those are two contrary things. What does it mean to perish? It means not to have everlasting life, eternal life. If you have eternal life, you don't perish. What does it mean to perish? Well, the rest of the Bible gives a commentary on that. To perish means to go to hell. So why did Jesus teach on hell? Because he desires that none perish, but all come to repentance and faith. The heart of God is that no one would go to hell. And why did Jesus teach about hell? We're going to run through seven things quickly. You know what a preacher means when he says that, right? <laughs> as quickly as possible. First of all, Jesus taught that after death, the soul of every person will go to one of two destinations. After death is the judgment. And after death, the soul of every person will go to one, two uh, uh, one of two eternal destinations, either heaven or hell. Heaven is real. And so is hell. Second of all, Jesus taught that hell was prepared to be the final and eternal place of judgment for Satan and for his demons, that is, the fallen angels who followed him in his rebellion against God. But not only is hell the final destination for Satan and his demons, hell also is the final destination for every rebellious and unrepentant human being who decides to join Satan's rebellion against God by refusing to repent of their sin and receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thirdly, Jesus taught that in reality, God does not send anyone to hell. But people choose to go to hell by refusing to repent of their sin, by refusing to come to God through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, Jesus taught that he came into the world to save people from the penalty of their sin and their rebellion against God, which is a lost and wasted life in this world and an eternity in hell. Jesus came into this world to make salvation possible. Saved, saved from what? A lost life and a lost eternity. And how did Jesus make that salvation possible? By his perfect life, by his sacrificial death, and by his glorious resurrection. Amen. He made salvation possible for all people who will repent and come to him. Fifthly, Jesus taught that he and he alone can save a person from an eternity in hell. He's the Savior. Amen. He's the only one who can save us. <laughs> from an eternity separated from God. Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus and Jesus alone. No man comes to the Father except by me. Amen. Number six, Jesus taught that hell is a terrible place. Jesus taught that hell was a, is a terrible place, a terrible place of suffering. He spoke of hell as a place where fire is constantly burning. He spoke of hell as a place infested by 
worms that are constantly attacking those who are condemned there. Now, those are not my words. Those are not my words. I'm not making that up. I'm not giving my twist on what hell is like. That's what Jesus said. Jesus taught that hell is a place of lonely and foreboding darkness. A place where there is continuous weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus taught that those who are condemned to hell suffer, suffer terribly, remain conscious, retain their desires and memories, long for relief, cannot find comfort, cannot leave their torment, and have no hope. That's what Jesus taught. That's not a Baptist preacher making up stuff as he goes along. That's what Jesus taught. We love when Jesus taught about heaven. We believe every word of what he said about heaven and the glories of heaven. We also must believe every word of what he said about the terrors of hell. Amen. Number seven, Jesus taught that there is no reprieve from hell. There is no release. There is no parole. There is no second chance. Matthew 25, 46, and these, the unsaved, will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Just as the saved will experience the joys of heaven forever, the lost will experience the terrors of hell forever. Back when I was a kid, preachers preached a lot on heaven and hell. Don't hear much about that anymore these days. I'm not trying to be exceptional or anything like that. But if you're going to preach about heaven, don't you think we need to preach about hell too? Now, what was the demeanor of Jesus when he talked about hell? You know, I've been in some services with some preachers and it's almost like they enjoy talking about hell. <laughs> they, they enjoy evoking those emotions from people. What was the demeanor of Jesus when he spoke about hell? Well, on one occasion, he wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, if you had known who's coming to you, you would have not rejected me. I think Jesus wept in his heart when he talked about hell. Because God desires that none perish. None perish. But all come to repentance. I think the demeanor of Jesus is the demeanor that we should have when we think about hell and talk about hell. It breaks our heart. First of all, we should be thankful we're not going because of God's goodness and grace. Second of all, it should break our heart for those we know who are going unless they get saved. And I've got folks in my family, I want them to be saved. I don't want them to go to hell. I've got friends. You've got friends. You've got family. It should break our heart for them. And we should pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. We don't pray for the lost like we used to pray for the lost. We don't pray for those who are not saved like we used to, to pray for those who are not saved. Because I don't know if we really believe that there is a reality like hell that is their eternal destination. How we need to pray for the lost. I have a list of lost people I pray for every day. I hope you do too. Pray, pray, pray. Also, when we think about what Jesus had to say about hell, we need to remember the determination of Jesus. 
The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus went to the cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Jesus went and he suffered at the cross all that he suffered. He was determined to go to the cross. He knew what was about to happen. He knew what he was about to experience. But he was determined to go there. Why? For the joy of knowing that at the end of that suffering and through his resurrection, people might be saved. For the joy of knowing that people might be redeemed. That was the determination of Jesus to save people from hell. Second of all, not only do I want us to see the reality of hell, I want us to see the reasonableness of hell. Many reject hell as unjust and unreasonable. But my friend, the punishment of hell is not unjust. Here's what the Bible says, and I believe the Bible. I believe the Word of God. I don't understand it all. In fact, the older I get, the more I study the Bible, the more I realize how little I know about the Bible. But it's my lifelong mission to try to understand the Bible, and I just believe it. Amen. The Bible says that every single person who has ever lived, every single person who has ever lived, Old Testament times, New Testament times, no matter where they are in the world, every single person who has ever lived has had opportunity after opportunity to turn away from their sin and their rebellion against the one true God and turn to Him. And I believe that. And here's what I believe, and here's what the Bible teaches. And I believe it because the Bible teaches it. No one in hell, no one in hell has the grounds to claim that God never reached out to them. No one in hell has the grounds to believe that God never gave them a chance to be saved from His judgment. In fact, everyone in hell can give testimony that yes, God reached out to them many times over, yet from their hard hearts they rejected Him. The judgment of hell is not unjust, it's not unreasonable. In fact, in no place does the Bible say that a forgiven and saved person will ever spend one moment in hell. No one goes to hell without rejecting opportunity after opportunity to turn from their sin and come to the one true God. And so, hell is not unjust, it's not unreasonable. And may I pose this question to you? What is God supposed to do with those who reject His grace? What is God supposed to do with those who refuse to repent and trust in His Son? This is a statement I think that you know, we know it's true, but it's kind of hard to understand how it's true. You know, to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect. You can't be 99.9% .9 perfect. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect. But then somebody will respond, but wait a minute, Christians are not perfect. No, we are not, not by a long stretch. But we have a Savior who's perfect. <laughs> the Bible says that the moment a person gives their life to Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, but in that moment, we are covered by the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible talks about 
salvation in many different terms and in many different ways. And one of the ways that the Bible talks about salvation is in the terms of imputation. That's a fancy word. But imputation was an ancient accounting term. It means to move something from one column to another column or move something from one account to another account. What does that mean? It means that when we receive Christ Jesus as our Savior and Lord, our sins are moved from our account to His account. <laughs> our sins are moved from our debt column to His column. And when we are saved, we give Him our sins. And our sin debt is paid finally and fully and forever by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross for our sins. Amen. You see, when you give your life to Christ, a great exchange happens. We give him our sins. He gives us his perfection. The perfection of Christ is then imputed to our account. And when God looks at us, he sees us through the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9 this, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. Paul said, I'm not going to heaven because I've got righteousness or perfection. I'm going to heaven because Christ has righteousness and perfection. Not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God. Amen. Yes, only those who are perfect go to heaven. But the perfection that qualifies us for heaven is not our own. We have no perfection. We have no righteousness of our own. As saved as we are, we're not going to be perfect as God would have us to be until we go to glory. The perfection that qualifies us for heaven is the perfection of Christ that covers our life when we give our life to Him. So when I was saved, I gave Him my sin. He gave me His perfection. And because of Christ, it is the perfection of Christ that makes us acceptable to God. But that's not all. The Bible also says when a believer goes to heaven, we're going to experience the final installment of the salvation that we have in Christ. And that final installment will be this. He will make us perfect. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, verses 22 and 23. He describes heaven in these terms. You have come to Mount Zion, the one in heaven. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And what is in heaven? An innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and the church of the firstborn which are registered in heaven, all the saints of God. You've come to God, the judge of all. You've come to the spirits of just people, saved people, made perfect. And so, when we're saved, 
Our sins are moved to His column and our sin debt is paid finally, fully, and forever. Now that almost is enough to make a Baptist a Pentecostal. <laughs> in glory and hallelujah. And then His perfection is given to us. When God looks at me, He sees me through the perfection of Christ. And I am accepted in the Beloved. But what about the person who refuses to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord? What about the person whose sin debt is still there? Their sins are not forgiven. What about the person who has no imputed perfection? What is God supposed to do with the person who refuses to repent? Who refuses to obey the gospel? Who refuses to accept God's mercy and grace through the Lord Jesus Christ? What is God supposed to do with a person like that? An unsaved person cannot live in heaven. An unsaved person cannot live in the glorified atmosphere of heaven. An unsaved person can't approach the glory of God any more than a human being is fit to live on Mars. So what is God supposed to do with the unredeemed? What is God supposed to do with the person who's not saved? Here's the reality. The unredeemed person who chooses to live without God in this life chooses to live without God in eternity. The unredeemed person who chooses to live without God in this life chooses to live without God in eternity. The person who chooses to follow Satan in his rebellion against God in this life chooses to follow Satan in eternity to the place of punishment that God has prepared for Satan and his angels. And that place of punishment is hell. The unsaved person will receive not God's grace, but God's justice. So hell is not unreasonable. You know, I got saved because somebody prayed for me. Amen. You got saved because somebody prayed for you. Amen. If you could go back to your story of how you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, there'd be a lot of components to it. But one of those important components is somebody was praying for you to get saved. Your mama, your daddy, your brother, your friend. Somebody was praying. Oh, how we need to pray for the lost. How we need to pray for the lost. How we need to pray for our lost family and our lost friends. You want to know what danger they're in? They are one breath. They are one heartbeat. They are one second away from an eternity separated from God. That's how we were. That's how they are. How we need to pray for the lost. And we need to pray for the lost we know and the lost we don't know. There are a lot of lost people in this world. And how we need to pray for them. But we've seen the reality of hell and the reasonableness of hell. Finally, I want us to see the rescue from hell. <laughs> now, human beings, contrary, and this is not politically correct. And if you quote this, you're not going to be accepted in this society. Now, so you've got to make a choice. Either I'm going to say this or, you know. The world's going to love me. Listen, the world's not going to love biblical truth. The world will accept Christianity as long as it's not biblical. 
But the world will not accept biblical truth. And here's the truth. Human beings are sinners. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. What that means is we're all born with a sinful nature. And then when we get old enough to know better, we knowingly choose to sin. We're all born with a sinful nature. That's why you don't have to teach kids to misbehave. What have you ever heard of a class that says, well, we need to teach these little three and four and five-year-olds how to beat up on one another. They just do that naturally. <laughs> We're all born with a bent towards sin. We're all born with an inherited sinful nature. Now, God is a God of goodness and mercy. And He doesn't condemn us for the sinful nature we're born with, but He does condemn us for the sins we choose knowingly to commit. God doesn't hold our sinful nature against us, but it's when we knowingly choose to sin that we are lost. Now, because we are sinners, have you ever heard on TV, and it's always on TV, somebody will say, well, I believe people are just you know, naturally good. No, people are naturally evil and lost. And because we are sinners, hell is our default destination. Someone wrote this and I wrote it down. Because we came into the world as sinners, we are like those Olympic skiers racing down a downhill slope. Our sinful nature, like gravity, is always pulling us downward away from God toward an eternity in hell. Signs are posted along the way. Creation, our conscience, witness of believers, God's Word, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, all warning us of the destruction that lies ahead, but we can't stop ourselves. The only hope we have is to realize the danger we're in and to call for help, and the only one who can help us is Jesus. Only He can rescue us. Only He can turn us around. Only He can empower us to be able to defy our sinful nature and go upward toward God to know Him and to live for Him. We're all born with a sinful nature. We're all born with a bent towards sin. We inherit that sinful nature, and when we get old enough to know better, we choose then to sin. And so here's the question. What does a person have to do to go to hell? What does a person have to do to go to hell? And here's the answer. Nothing. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. You just live your life the way you want to live it. Just do nothing about your sin. Do nothing about Jesus. Just ignore the gospel. Ignore the death of Christ on the cross for your sins. Ignore His claims on your life. Just do nothing with God and ignore it all and you will die and go to hell because hell is your default destination. Because hell is our default destination, a person has to do something to be saved. A person has to do something to go to heaven. You don't have to do anything to go to hell, but you have to do something to go to heaven. And what is that? In Acts 16, 
verses 30 and 31, a man asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? You know what they said? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The good news is hell can be refused. The good news is we can be rescued from hell. And we can be rescued from hell when we call on Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so this morning we've seen the reality of hell. I don't like preaching on hell. Not a whole lot. You know, the Bible says, Behold the severity and the goodness of God. The A side of that, cre of, of, of that equation is the, the goodness of God. We all want to hear about the goodness of God. And I love preaching on the goodness of God and the grace of God. But also, God is a God of judgment. And God is a God of wrath. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Now, God, first of all and foremost, is a good God who longs to forgive. I mean, he proved that by sending his only begotten son to come into the world to make our salvation possible. What more does God need to do to prove that he is a good God willing to forgive any and all who will repent and come to him? He sent Christ into the world to die for us. Hell can be refused. You can be rescued from hell. That's why we call Jesus Savior. And that's why we don't take any credit for our salvation. I can't stand up here today and tell you, well, God saved me because I'm so good. God saved me because I'm a Baptist preacher. God saved me in spite of that. You know, I can't stand up here today and tell you that God saved me because I gave $10,000 to the church one day. I can't stand up here and say, take any kind of credit for, for anything having to do with my salvation. But I can stand here today and tell you, I am saved because of Jesus and Jesus alone who died on the cross for my sins. And I believe in Him and I've trusted in Him. And He's taken my sin debt and He's forgiven it finally, fully and forever. And He's given me His grace and mercy. And He's covered me in His love and His perfection. So that when the Father looks at me, He sees me through the perfection of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not perfect. But one of these days I'll be made perfect by God Himself. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Now listen, when Jesus talked about hell, His purpose was to warn. His purpose was to warn. We got all kind of warning signs along this road where they're doing all this work. You know? And if I was a state patrolman, I'd post myself down yonder because nobody goes 45 miles an hour. <laughs> When Jesus talked about hell, his purpose always was, was to warn people. You said, well, you're trying to scare me into, be, into be, being saved. You need to be scared. If you're lost, you need to be scared. I just went to two funerals. One, a good friend of mine, a, a first cousin of mine, who was 65 years old, almost 65 years old, fell over with a heart attack and he died. <laughs> now he's in eternity. Thank God he trusted in Christ. I know he was a Christian. He had a good, strong faith in the Lord Jesus. 
If you're not a Christian, you need to be afraid. The purpose of Jesus was, was always to warn about hell, not to raise questions about the reality of hell, not to plant doubts about the reality of hell and its terrible nature. nature. When Jesus spoke of hell, his purpose was not to provide comfort. His purpose was to frighten and to warn. He came into the world to save us from hell. He wants people to be saved. I want people to be saved. Don't you? I want my family to be saved. I want my friends to be saved. My friend, there are no escape routes from hell. Hell offers no means of escape, no rescue, no relief, no way out ever. The, uh, the occupants of hell are forever sealed in their damnation. Friends and family can't help. God won't help and the time of mercy and grace is over. The time to make that decision is in this life and today. It's always good to see Brother Rodney. I remember that day when his daddy led me to Jesus. Amen. I was in Sycamore Baptist Church. That church was full. That church was full. And the only vacant spots in the whole church was on the front pew. Me and Miss Harris and our little old family, we walked down that front pew, sat down, hadn't been in that church forever. Nobody knew why we were there. I was there because God had been dealing with me. He'd been bringing conviction into my life. I knew I needed to be saved. I was raised in the Christian home, but I had denied Christ. But the Lord had come to me and made it clear on no uncertain terms. It was time for me to quit playing around. It was time for me to be saved. And I sat down that morning and old brother Clint, he preached. I forget what he preached. But I took those three steps, those good Baptists had filled up all the back pews, bless their hearts. I took those three steps, I took Brother Clint by the hand, and you know what I told him? I told him, I'm lost and I want to be saved. That is exactly what I said to him. And he opened up the Word of God and he led me to Christ and I received Christ as my Savior and Lord. And Jesus saved my soul that day and he changed my life. And the greatest thing he did for me was to rescue me from hell. To make me a child of God that I could love him and live for him. If you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, you need to be saved today. You need to be saved today. And there's a God who's willing to save you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter the record of it all, he knows it all and he's still willing to save you. And he will if you'll call upon him in repentance and faith and trust. This old guy, the rich man, he had five brothers. He hadn't prayed in his life, but he was praying in hell that somebody would go tell his five brothers so they wouldn't come to that awful place. It could be that somebody is in hell today praying for you so that you won't come to that awful place. If you've never given your life to Christ, be saved.